Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for Part 1 of our November-December 2020 issue. This month, we also feature three new interactive activities from cmeinstitute.com, where you can participate and earn free CME credit. Let's get started. The COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting quarantine have affected everyone by now. But how are they transforming the delivery of mental health care? Go online to read a variety of perspectives on COVID-19, including first-person accounts from physicians in France, Spain, Italy, and India, as well as case reports and thought-provoking commentaries on how the pandemic is impacting psychiatry and mental health. These offerings are freely available online. Just visit us at psychiatrist.com and search on the keyword COVID-19. Several successful placebo-controlled randomized trials have shown that Silverexan prevents the occurrence of delirium. However, no strong evidence has been presented regarding its effectiveness in real-world settings. In this single-center, retrospective cohort study, the authors examined whether Silverexant helped to prevent delirium among patients in the intensive care unit of an academic hospital. Patients aged three years or older, admitted from January 2016 to December 2018, were eligible. As part of everyday clinical practice, Silverexant was prescribed for insomnia and the confusion assessment method for the ICU was used to detect delirium. This assessment was performed at least twice daily throughout the patient's ICU stay. Among a total of 699 patients, 84 were Silverexant users and 615 were non-users. Delirium was detected in 214 patients. Of these, the prevalence of delirium was significantly lower in Silverexant users than in non-users, 17.9% versus 32.4%. Cox regression analysis revealed a significantly lower hazard ratio, a 52.8% reduction of delirium risk with Silverexant treatment. Based on these results, the authors conclude that the present study supports previous findings that Silverexant is effective for delirium prevention in real-world settings. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is characterized by a distressing emotional, behavioral, and physiologic reaction that follows witnessing or experiencing a traumatic event. A hallmark of PTSD is sleep disturbance, which may affect the efficacy of first-line treatments and indicate a need for targeted, sleep-enhancing medication, such as mirtazapine. With funding from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, investigators conducted a trial of mirtazapine in 78 U.S. military veterans with PTSD. The researchers hypothesized that mirtazapine would be more effective than placebo in reducing symptoms of PTSD and depression 
and in improving quality of sleep over eight weeks. The results, however, fail to show a significant difference between groups in terms of PTSD, depression, or sleep outcomes, though the mirtazapine group had significantly better overall clinical improvement compared to placebo, as measured by the Clinical Global Impression Scale. Mirtazapine was well tolerated with no difference in side effects from those reported in the placebo group. One factor that may have dampened the drug versus placebo signal was that significantly more patients in the placebo group were prescribed a rescue sleep medication compared to those in the mirtazapine group. The authors conclude that this study did not show efficacy for mirtazapine monotherapy for the treatment of PTSD in U.S. military veterans. These findings stand in contrast to earlier studies that suggested mirtazapine might be beneficial for PTSD. However, the results do not rule out the possibility of mirtazapine as an effective adjunct treatment to other psychotropic medications or psychotherapy in patients with treatment-resistant PTSD. Nor can these negative findings be generalized to civilian groups. Finding effective treatment for veterans with PTSD is challenging, and more research of novel pharmacologic treatments is needed. The evidence that bipolar disorder is approximately twice as prevalent among females as among male adolescents is underrecognized. In fact, adolescence is the only time in the lifespan when female predominance in bipolar disorder manifests. While there is substantial research on differences between females and males with bipolar disorder in adulthood, there are few studies on this topic in youth. Using data from 370 participants enrolled in the National Institute of Mental Health's Course and Outcome of Bipolar Youth Study, the authors examined sex differences on a number of clinical variables over an average of 10 years. As expected from epidemiologic norms, females had a greater burden of anxiety disorders, whereas males had a greater burden of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Older females also had more depressive and anxiety symptoms compared to same-age males. Overall, however, there were minimal sex differences in the course and outcome of bipolar disorder among youth on important prognostic markers, such as time to recovery or recurrence and rate of recovery or recurrence. These findings suggest that female and male youth with bipolar disorder may not be phenotypically distinct. Larger-term studies that follow youth later into adulthood are needed to clarify if youth-onset bipolar disorder is a sex-neutral subtype of bipolar disorder or if it diverges according to sex and adulthood. More research is needed to better understand the greater prevalence of bipolar disorder in young females. Given that there are no clinical signals, future research should incorporate neurobiological data, including sex hormones, to understand underlying mechanisms. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is a serious condition that can follow exposure to a traumatic event. Fluoxetine, paroxetine, sertraline, dipyramate, and venlafaxine have previously shown efficacy for treating the disorder. 
In a prior study, using U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs medical records data to compare these agents, no differences were found in symptom reduction in clinical practice. In the present study, which used the treatment records of all patients treated in the Veterans Health Administration, the authors assessed the same agents in real-world clinical use. The medications all led to improvements in PTSD symptoms during the 12-week acute treatment phase and improved functioning in the 6-month continuation phase. Patients in the venlafaxine group were more likely to experience remission of their PTSD symptoms during the acute phase compared to patients in the other treatment groups. However, the possible superiority of venlafaxine over established medications in achieving acute phase remission for DSM-5 PTSD should be evaluated with additional prospective research. The authors conclude that regardless of the agent chosen, medication cessation during the continuation phase is associated with a higher risk of acute psychiatric care use. In two interactive CME brief reports supported by Neurocrine Biosciences, expert Dr. Joseph McAvoy discusses treating and assessing tardive dyskinesia. If a patient develops tardive dyskinesia, or TD, should the antipsychotic dose be reduced? Should the patient stop taking it? What does the evidence say? In this brief report, Dr. McAvoy considers these questions and outlines strategies to reduce TD symptoms, including using FDA-approved treatment options. In the second brief report, learn how Dr. McAvoy employs measurement-based care for patients with TD. Telemedicine can be used as long as the camera can be positioned to provide the clinician with a complete view of the patient. Patient observations that are noted at baseline should be inquired about during treatment and family members should be asked for information. With continued treatment and regular monitoring, patients can experience improvement in their TD symptoms. Visit us at cmeinstitute.com to learn more about treating and assessing tardive dyskinesia and earn free CME credit. Do you talk with your patients about the burden they experience during off-episodes of Parkinson's disease or PD? Using assessment tools can spur communication. In this interactive CME brief report supported by Synovian Pharmaceuticals, follow along as two experts review the occurrence and identification of off-time. You'll learn how the pathophysiology of PD contributes to off-periods and consequent patient burden, and also how to identify signs of off-periods by incorporating questionnaires and care partner information into the clinical evaluation. To learn more about off-episodes in Parkinson's disease, visit us at cmeinstitute.com and earn free CME credit. In closing, be sure to visit us online at psychiatrist.com to view the newest online offerings from Part 1 of the November-December 2020 issue and at cmeinstitute.com to explore interactive activities and earn free CME credit. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the Publishers Podcast 
your place for psychiatry soundbites.